When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Well, Matt, we knew this was going to happen. In fact, this is one of the first things that you and I talked about when COVID hit. The rumors are true. Back, uh, oh gosh, too many years ago now, 2016, we did an episode on the inevitable rise of a global infection of some sort. Uh, COVID-19 is, of course, a viral infection. This is about a bacterial infection but guess what, folks? The problem's still real. It's still out there. The math is still out there. Enjoy the antibiotics while you got them, I guess. This this one made me pretty nihilistic. Well, it's one of the scariest episodes I think we've done. And it's scary because there's not much we can actively do about it. The, the antibiotic-resistant bacteria is out there. It exists right now. It kills people every year across the world. And... I mean, my own, I think I mentioned in this episode, my own grandfather, three years before he recorded this episode, died because of an, an infection from antibiotic-resistant bacteria. There was a recent study in Georgia that I don't think is in this because it was, again, 2016, that found this type of bacteria existing in many of the waterways around our city of Atlanta, which scared the heck out of me. That was in 2021. Yeah, here's the lay of the land just going into this. Um, for a long, long, long time, 
for a couple of different factors, antibiotics have been spread throughout the world at an unprecedented pace. Uh, doctors, with the best of intentions, would prescribe antibiotics pretty freely. Uh, also, the livestock industry, which I mentioned last week, would prescribe a lot of, well, not prescribe, they would dose uh, cattle and, and pigs and chickens with antibiotics. And every time that the kind of life forms antibiotics fight are exposed to these things, it, it is an opportunity for them to learn just as much as it is an opportunity to kill that bacteria. So what happens when the bacteria graduates? You know what I mean? What happens when it gets to the point where it already knows the tricks of every antibiotic and has evolved some resistance against it? That's part of the study that you're referencing, Matt, uh, in Georgia. And that's also, that's also part of the problem that has only only intensified today. So, yes, this is one of the scarier episodes we've done in that it is increasingly a statistical certitude that a superbug will occur. So don't feel like COVID got us out of this one. Anyway, we're fun at parties. Yay! From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. And we're going to pause just there for a second because our super producer, Noel the Madman Brown, is not in the uh, studio with us today. No, but uh, he is doing something very important that we cannot talk about yet. Mm -hmm. But we assure you it's a secret mission. And uh, I'm, I'm Ben, you guys know me, uh, you're you, this is stuff they don't want you to know, but... It's not just Matt and I in the studio today, ladies and gentlemen. We are uh, thrilled to have a returning guest, a friend of the show, uh, the, the, should we say famous or, or infamous? Lauren Vogelbaum. Yes. Hi. Uh, you know, whichever, whichever one you want today. It's a Wednesday. I'd say just regular famous on Wednesdays. Regular famous on Wednesday. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You, you may know Lauren from mm -hmm. all of the places around how stuff works. Mm -hmm. Everything from forward thinking to brain stuff to how stuff works now to what the stuff. I think there are seven or eight more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hey. Essentially everything. Anytime that I can move furniture for a show, that's basically what I do. Yeah. Yes. That's yeah. true. I mean, also writing and editing and research and performance, yes. but yeah. But uh, yeah. your passion, though, really is furniture moving related, mm -hmm. though, right? Absolutely. It yeah. makes sense because, you know, anytime that you can get the 98-pound girl on the tap yes. of moving heavy things, that's, also, that's where it's at. It should also be noted that you have mastered the art of the teleprompter. I, oh, have, yeah. I have attempted to do this on several occasions, and uh, it's way harder than it looks, you guys. It's, it's a great video game. It is. <laughs> I'm gonna learn. I'm gonna. I'm yeah. gonna become an apprentice. Yeah. Little little bit of background before we get in today's episode. This this might be interesting to some of you. So amidst the uh, video writers here, uh, Lauren and I are half of the video writing team. Uh, we have this. Everybody in uh, in a job, every group has some has some task that is no one's favorite, right? Whether mm -hmm. it's taking out the garbage, moving the furniture. For us, it's that teleprompter, yeah. man. It's uh, because depending upon uh, the host or, or whom you're you're operating this for, it can be a real um, we're a family show. It can be a real pain in the um, tuchus, yep. tuchus, yes. nose, 
Yes. Pain in the nose. No. Nose Pain is my favorite uh, butt substitute if you're trying to keep it clean. <laughs> The smell of the pain in the nose. All right. The favorite butt substitute. Okay, so I'm going to be collecting some of our choice quotes from this. Uh, Lauren, earlier before we got on the air, you had said, I might get angry about some things today. Why do you guys only invite me to uh, to talk about topics that anger me? I'm paraphrasing. Uh, yeah, that's what I said. And I'm, you didn't really give me a satisfactory answer aside from it's fun. It yeah. makes for a better podcast, I oh, think. Okay. It really does. Is there know. a reason that you get upset about this topic? Or should we just bring that up later, I oh, guess? Oh, first we should do the shout-out corner. Oh, that's true. Noel? I, d- I don't get angry about shout-out corners. Good. Shout-out corners. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. It is the return of our shout-out corner. For those of you uh, unfamiliar with this, recently we have resurrected the practice of shout-outs, just a way to have have uh, some of your fellow listeners say hello to all at once. And it's pretty simple. We can't shout-out everybody, so we can try to keep it down to like mm-hmm. three people. But if you're one of the first three to write to us on Facebook, Twitter, email, or find me on the street or in the back of a bar, then uh, just ask for a shout-out. On. Who knows? You may get one just like Joshua Woolsey from Facebook wrote to us and said, hey, can I have a shout out? Huge shout out to you, Joshua. Mm-hmm. And another thing that happens if we don't get enough people that want an actual shout out, what we're going to do is call out people who are just cool on our Twitter and Facebook. So <laughs> okay. I'm doing around, I'm doing that right now. I'm calling out Casper Parks and Hugh Lame Trinket Vice. Or, All one word. Yes. At Ostrakos1. For sending us those cattle mutilation little images, comic book excerpts mm-hmm. that we were talking about uh, with cows doing fun things. I think one of them was saying it was the cow returning home to the rancher and just saying, hey, man, it's OK. We're all we're all back and we're all good. Don't, yeah. you don't have to worry tonight. Was that Gary Larson or was that? That was not. Different? The okay. other one was Gary Larson. And and this sounds like so much fun. I'll do one too. So uh so shout out to Joe Dragunas. That's at J M D R A G U N A S. I'm I apologize if I butchered your name for suggesting the obvious and overlooked angle that perhaps cattle mutilation occurs as a result of turf wars over grazing zones. And uh that this is all ultimately cow on cow violence. Mm. Yeah, we completely missed that in the podcast. We did. We try our best, but we don't always get everything right. We're only human, most of us. Uh, speaking of human things, that's our shout-out corner, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> of course, write to us if you, if you would like to participate. Uh, we've got a question here I wanted to check with you guys before we get into today's topic, which also, oddly enough, has a run-in with livestock. What is the sickest you've ever been? Who ever ever like ever? Oh man, uh, I the, the only one I can think of is the most recent time that I was very sick, and I I got a I got some kind of bacterial infection, and it lasted for like a month, and it was oh. when I had just moved into a new place, so I I'm sure that I had all kinds of like new stuff floating around. Mm. I'm allergic to cats. My roommate has two cats. Hilarious backstory. Uh, but so so you know so there was lots of stuff going on with my immune system, but essentially I was just incapable of moving my own objects for that entire month because I just couldn't, I just couldn't, I couldn't get out of bed. Yeah. The Uh, weakness that you feel when you're going through that. Yeah. And as someone as passionate as you are about moving furniture, that has to be emotionally (laughs) painful as well. Uh, Right. I, the the toll that it took on me, uh, metaphysically, I think Uh is the one that cannot be ignored. Wow. 
That's uh, that's crazy. What what about you, Matt? You want to go or you want me to go? I have a story to talk about here, but it's not necessarily about me. It's about my grandfather. Would that would that be okay? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So my grandfather back in I guess it was late 2012, early 2013. He was living with my parents at their house and coming and he fell and broke his hip. Just one night he got up to go to the bathroom and he fell. Uh-huh. So he had to go have surgery and they replaced his hip. It went really well. The doctors were worried about the procedure itself because, you know, an almost 90-year-old man doing that kind of intensive surgery is a little dangerous. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, but it turned out fine, and and that went really well. The problem was he needed rehabilitation, and our family couldn't afford, you know, in-home services, stuff like that, the more expensive things that you can get uh, for that. So we had to go to a rehabilitation center. Mm-hmm. And while he was there... Uh, one of the things that he was having a, a problem doing is getting up and going to the bathroom, something we take for granted every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he required a catheter. And either through this catheter or through some other uh, urine mitigation method, he developed an infection. And when he got this infection, at first it was, you know, it's kind of standard when you're in a hospital like that to get a small infection or something. It, mm-hmm. it happens all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the problem was it wasn't going away. My mom spoke to the nurse and the nurse said, specifically, we think this may be a superbug. We think it, it's not responding to any of the antibiotics that we're giving him mm-hmm. and it may be resistant. Well, uh, unfortunately, the infection did take his life and he, he died on May 23rd, 2013. But it was my first run in personally with something like this. And I didn't think that it was possible in the United States at a, mm-hmm. a good facility where he mm-hmm. was that this could even occur. Yeah. And uh, it really kind of opened my eyes to this topic and scared me a little bit. It's uh, it's a sobering thought. Uh, this is our topic for today, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we are going to talk about something that you have probably heard of in the news and probably wondered, is that alarmism? Is this just a, a, a ploy for more clicks or more viewers on the part of mainstream media? And unfortunately, it is not. It's yeah. completely true. Yeah, this is two for two of you guys inviting me on for something that is actually not a conspiracy at all. It's just it's just people sucking. Well, it's not a conspiracy theory, but there are that I I will submit to you, Lauren Vogelbaum, that there are a couple of conspiracies afoot okay. involved in this. Agreed. A hoof. Oh, no, no, no. oh, no spoilers. Uh, let's talk about disease, you yeah. guys. Uh, before we die of one, um, we'll start with a story about the Black Death, the Black Plague. You've heard of it before, uh, if you have ever. You've just heard of it. Yeah, this you, is not you a, have. If you I, have historied. Yes, if you have historied, that's perfect. Uh, I want to go ahead and say that I'm going to ignore any spoiler warnings on this. It happened a while ago. Yeah, 1300s, I think around then we can we can talk about it's it safe. now. It's yeah. safe. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Okay, I just wanted a gut check with you guys. Uh, boy, the ancient world was a terrible and brutal place. Everything <laughs> sucked. Yeah, aside from like the, the clothes and maybe the millinery, um, I would not have wanted to live in the past. Yeah, I think it's I think we watch Bill and Ted sometime in our childhood and then say, hey, time travel is fun. It's probably not. We'll get into some statistics later, but it is it is difficult for the vast majority of us to imagine just how filthy living conditions were, how poor and crude our understanding of quote unquote medicine was and just how 
much easier it was to die from what these days would be a kind of trivial infection. You know? Yeah, li- small little things, because you may be walking around in feces all day when you're trying to get from one place to the other out <laughs> mm-hmm. in the streets, because you probably are. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And animal feces, human feces. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. All kinds. All, all kinds. kinds. So the Black Plague, as it's commonly called in English, describes instead a wave of three separate incidences, incidences, I guess, moving uh, from a plague reservoir somewhere in the Caspian Sea area, uh, Central Asia westward, and it followed shipping routes. The Black Death is generally thought to have arrived by ship in Europe in October of 1347, when 12 ships from Genoa docked at the Sicilian port of Messina, and that's right after going through the Black Seas. Oh, and this is a this is a spooky story to tell in the dark, you know, because this ship, when it hits the docks, it's full of dead people, people who are either dead or in the process of. And uh, those who are still alive are just overcome with fever. They're throwing up. They're hallucinating and delirious from the pain. And that wasn't all, was it? Oh, no, it gets grosser. Yeah, uh, they were also covered in, in these black boils that oozed blood and pus and 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 that is where we get the name the black death from yeah in sicily the the government of sicily ordered the fleet out of the harbor you know back to genoa with you or never mind yeah Yeah. never mind jk 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 (laughs) well they probably thought they were safe we got rid of this problem we're okay now yeah but that wasn't the truth. Yeah, no. They were unfortunately very wrong. And over the next five years, this thing that we come to know as the Black Death would kill more than 20 million people in Europe. At the time, that was almost one third of the continent's population. So if we were Europe, the three of us in this room right now, one of us would die. Yeah. Which is which is a a crazy thing, and people didn't know what was going on. Was it a punishment mm-hmm. from God? Mm-hmm. Was it uh, foreign hordes from the uh, like literally hordes from the Mongol horde? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we wouldn't have germ theory for the next few centuries, mm-hmm. so people had no concept of of what disease transmission meant. Yeah, right. yeah. How are you getting it? That's that's a crazy thing to not know from living a wanton, sinful life. Maybe. Honestly, maybe. I mean, at the time, maybe. That one time I danced too much? Yeah, the time that, yes, the dancing in public, I think, is where we could trace this back to. That or uh, a bacteria that mm-hmm. was uh, that was proven to be the cause of the plague as recently as 2010. There were DNA studies that confirmed something that had been suspected for a while, a thing called Yersinia pestis. And it is uh, common to fleas that live on rats or rodents, excuse Mm me, uh, from central Western Asia, Kurdistan, parts of India, and oddly enough, Uganda. The effects of this are are seen today. According to the historian Philip Dileter, quote, 45 to 50 percent of the European population died during a four-year period. Uh, There's a fair amount of geographic variation, however. In Mediterranean Europe, areas such as Italy, the south of France, and Spain, where plague ran for about four years consecutively, it was probably closer to 75 to 80 percent of the population. That's huge, you guys. Uh, in Germany and England, though, it was probably closer to only 20 percent. Right. And over you'll you'll notice, folks, that there are uh, some differences in the statistics already, because just above it said uh, roughly a third of the population. Mm-hmm. But then you hear 40 to 50 percent. Uh, we're still working out how many people actually died 
that's how massive this was. In many mm-hmm. situations, there was no one there to count the dead. Yeah, you had you had to know exactly how many people died, but also who died of what. I mean, how are you going sure. to prove that they died of this and not something of, say, else? Say starvation, because yeah. there was no food left, mm-hmm. or that's et cetera. Point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the um, the. I guess the side consequences or the ripple effects of that. Overall, you'll hear a number with a great range, right? They'll say 75 to 200 million people across Eurasia died as a result of this. But there's one positive thing. I looked really hard. There's one positive thing about the Black Death. Yeah? I know it sounds weird to say it that way. Okay, Silver Black Death Lining. Yes, Silver Black Uh. Death Lining. So uh, there's a book that we've mentioned on the air before, I think, called In the Wake of the Plague by an author named Norman Cantor. And this is where I learned that the disease, the plague, may be responsible for HIV resistance in some European populations, especially Northern European. Oh, that's fascinating. Isn't that weird? Yeah, yeah. I was just reading the other day about uh, how worm infestations in Viking populations were responsible for a gene that now causes emphysema. So s- strange how, how like, 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 oh. like, like resistance to worm infestations led to a genetic variant that basically causes em- emphysema. So it's, so it's great how these ripple effects, less great for people with emphysema, obviously, sure, sure. than people with HIV resistance. Like, that's the lotto that's that you would rather a win. a superpower versus yeah. an affliction, I yeah. guess. Yeah. Uh, but, but nonetheless, oh, that, that's genetically great. Yeah, it's, it's strange what happens when any population of living things is put through uh, an environmental ringer. Now, does some, some of you may, might be saying, like, Matt, Lauren, Ben... Also, Nolan Spirit, why are you guys talking about the Black Death? That was so long ago. Move on, guys. This is just a grisly historical side note. We'll sit tight for a yeah. second. We'll, we'll get to that. Uh-huh. And first, let's talk about these bugs, this bacteria. What, what do we mean when we say a bug or a super bug? All right, you guys, here we go. Travel with us for a moment. Close your eyes. Uh, no, wait, you're driving. Don't close your eyes. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Uh, just... Pretend there's an overlay on your windscreen. Okay, here we go. Imagine your body. Hmm. Peaceful. Eyes, hopefully. Ears. That's nice. Hopefully there's an abdomen with guts down there. Now imagine that this body is an entire civilization, a city, perhaps even a planet of its own, filled with bacteria in you, around you. They're all living inside this city. Holy smokes, it's crowded in there. Okay, so fun fact here. Uh, there are more bacterial cells that are inside of you than there are your cells. Seriously. Here, here's the good thing. They're much, much smaller than your cells. Uh, and the statistic has recently been contested, n- not in peer-reviewed research, so we can't take it for, for certain yet. But, uh, but suffice it to say that we host a lot of microbes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Many more than you would think or want to believe. Yes. And they're way smaller than the human cells that make up your body. So it's not, although we are covered in living things and just inundated with them, we're still, you know, people. By, by volume, there's more of us than there are them. Yeah, there we go. That's how you measure yeah. the stat. But see, are they part of us now? Yeah. Now that we have created this ecosystem together? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, a lot of them are, are harmless, working kind of, 
you know, just alongside all of our normal bodily processes. Mm. And a lot of them are even helpful. Yeah, they digest food. They will fight off the bad bacteria for you if it's a good day. Uh, we all have these strange ecosystems or microbiomes in our guts. Mm -hmm. uh, and... You can hear very interesting podcasts by some of our peers, our colleagues, about the uh, so-called fecal transplants, which are a real thing. Yeah, and yeah. As it turns out, the microbiomes in our guts have a lot to do with our mental health, with our immune systems, with all kinds of systems that you, that you wouldn't expect gut bacteria to be influencing. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. So tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Ooh, guys, really quick, fun fact that I learned from having a baby. I didn't have the baby, uh, but... From having a baby, you were like you were like a producer, surrogate of sorts. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so when when you are a baby and you are being breastfed, the substance that you are fed prior to actually getting milk mm -hmm. is is the stuff that creates and coats the inside of your lining. It creates your basically the little biome of bacteria that lives inside of you because you are getting it from your parent, from your mother, which is kind of cool. 
Weird. Isn't that weird to think about? Bacterial She's, transfer, yeah. Bacterial transfer, yeah. and it's on purpose, mm-hmm. and we have to do it, or yeah. else there are issues. There are bad things that mm-hmm. happen. Mm-hmm. There's also research into how uh, babies born via cesarean section mm-hmm. are missing out on some uh, vaginal microbiome stuff. Oh, wow. And so, so researchers are starting to just kind of just kind of swab that right on the baby uh, after yeah. it's born by cesarean section, therefore giving these amazing, like life saving, lifelong. Uh, Benefits? Benefits, yeah. Yeah, like the exterior bacteria that's on your skin and stuff like that. Wow, that's Ooh, crazy. That's fascinating. Well, so we are taking pains, of course, folks, to show that bacteria is not all bad. It gets a bad rap. It's not all bad, but uh, it is responsible for your farts. So as we have a brain stuff video about it, which ends on an oddly philosophical note where it's like, oh, it's not really you farting. It's all this stuff inside of you that's producing this, which makes you think, like, who are we farting inside of? You know what I mean? If we're the bacteria. Anyway, check it out if you want. It's free on YouTube. But I say that because it's time for us to take a turn. We've talked about the good bacteria. What about the other side? Uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot of pathogenic, aka disease producing bacteria that can cause infections anywhere in your body that you have body parts, basically. Um, and, and, and a note here, which will get more important as we go deeper into this conversation about how tricky it is to fight off harmful bacteria. Um, species of bacteria don't fall into two simple binary categories of pathogenic versus non-pathogenic. And we know this because we've seen bacteria species that were previously harmless turn pathogenic inside of a host. So it's an on-off switch in each individual bacterium that depends on a number of factors that the conditions in the host and the health and welfare of the rest of the colony primarily. To put it simply and, and also kind of scarily, bacteria that have the capacity to be pathogenic can lie dormant. What I imagined when uh, when you're saying this is that there are these tiny little microscopic sleeper cells of of terrorists of like these, these bacterium terrorists that mm-hmm. are just waiting to be activated. And when they get the call, they're, they're, they're opportunistic. It's, mm-hmm. it's really incredible from a evolution standpoint and really terrifying from a human person walking around with these like hypothetical ticking time bombs kind of standpoint. Oh, and in addition to a bacteria colony's pathogenic state, you've also got another qualifier that you can apply here. And that's the colony's virulence, which is uh, like how revved up the colony, the colony is about making you sick. Um, so where pathogenicity is whether bacteria make you sick or not, virulence is how sick pathogenic bacteria make you. Oh, okay. I see. So mm-hmm. like a sore throat or pneumonia. Sure. Yeah. I'm picking those two out of the air for the sake of argument. Uh, it's amazing that we have as a species survived long enough to learn so much about this uh this ancient supervillain, really. The our species has been in a war. Uh, and now we know that bacteria have also pulled a Benedict Arnold at times and switched sides. Well, uh, it doesn't yeah. benefit them to kill us off. So it's, it's really, true. it's really a genetic flaw in bacteria if they're killing us. Well, they probably mm. don't need us all though, because mm, they true. could live in other animals as well, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, uh, especially if there are other bacteria that it is helpful when the host dies so that there can be movement or something. Mm-hmm. And then that's, wow, that doesn't make any sense when I think about it. But there are so many other things that take advantage of a being when it dies and it's being broken mm-hmm. down and how much food is created there. Opportunistic is 
probably the word of the week mm-hmm. for our podcast here. So let's we we talked about the good, we talked about the bad. Let's talk about the ugly. Uh, in the early 1900s, we didn't really have any any efficacious or uh, effective medicines against things like common germs. So there were traditional treatments that we can talk about, but their their efficiency was not was nowhere near the pills that your doctor will give you today. Even though the body has this great immune system that can fight off infections, uh, sometimes the germs are some serious heavyweights, right? Uh, we've got some uh, frightening <laughs> statistics here too, right? Yeah, before antibiotics, you had a very good chance of dying if you got something like ba- bacterial meningitis. 90% of the children who got it died. And among those children who lived, most of them had some kind of long-lasting effects, anything from uh, different disabilities to deafness mm-hmm. to even mental mental retardation. Which to me would be a fate worse than death, honestly. You know, I, I can't imagine having a kid and having a disease where they say, your child survived, but will no longer be able to hear you, maybe even understand who you are. Is that living? I don't know. Strep throat. I used to get strep throat all the time when I was yep. a kid. It was oh, yeah. a time of fatal disease. Did you guys ever have strep throat or ear infections? Stuff like ear that? Ear infections I had a About lot. like once a year. Yeah. Yeah. We are not suited for time travel, no. my friends, unless we have some sort of protective gear, I think. It's a bubble boy suit. Yeah. Or a space suit from NASA. But they won't sell those to civilians. Jerks. They gave it. They gave one... They gave one kid who actually did have to live in a bubble because of this terrible immune disorder. They gave him a kind of a spacesuit, but they won't. You can email them if you want. Folks. Have you been emailing them? I did email them before All right. and asked. Uh, they, they said no, but uh, there's nothing wrong with trying. Here's the thing though. These ear infections. If we were to travel back into the past, um, you, Lauren, you, Matt, Noel, uh, you listeners, if we all went back in the past for some kind of time travel party and we got an ear infection and we didn't have any treatment for it, it could spread from the ear to your brain. Yeah. What? That's terrible. And then other, and let's not forget the serious infections are still around. There's still tuberculosis, pneumonia, whooping cough, and they're caused by these bacteria that are, um, like Lauren said earlier, they're virulent. They reproduce at an extraordinary pace and they can easily, well, they'll make you very sick, but they could also plausibly just cause you to die. Game over, man. Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's talk about bacteria for Mm -hmm. a little bit, guys. Let's get to know them. These what, people that yeah. we're kind of vilifying here. What are they like? Well, you ca- if you look at a bacteria, Ben, let's imagine that they're real estate agents. Hmm. For them, it's all about location, location, location. <laughs> they just need to find a place where they can, that they can eat, hmm. where they can reproduce. And guess what? Uh, they're not doing any kind of the, <laughs> they reproduce asexually. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. So your your gut is not full of a bunch of tiny creatures that are having just sexual congress inside of you, making love. No, they, well, not they, bacteria anyway. Not bacteria anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, they can reproduce very, very quickly, though the bacteria can. in In the right conditions, uh, a warm, moist place, bacteria can reproduce like every twenty minutes. Which means you start with one, and in an hour, you could have eight. Scale that across the thousands yeah. and millions of creatures. Uh, and bacteria can, of course, damage you in a number of ways. Poisoning your food, entering your body through the air, an animal bite, 
an awkward high five, you know, seriously, skin to skin contact could touching do it as well. Touching a doorknob sometimes. Oh, well, well, t- touching a doorknob and having either a cut on your skin yes. or immediately putting your dirty, dirty hand uh, against one of your mucous membranes. Mm-hmm. Don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> do people do that? Uh, probably more than you would think, actually. Yeah. yeah. I always judge people if I'm in the restroom and I hear them leave without washing their hands. Mm. I know to some degree it's just this ritualized thing that we have mm-hmm. all, we have all as a society convinced ourselves will make people safer. And it's better than nothing, but still, I judge you. If I, if I, if I don't hear, you just at least like run your hand. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, if I don't even hear the water turn on, then judgment is coming your way. Luckily, even if you don't wash your hands because you have some, I don't know, weird thing in your past, uh, we have something else that can help you. It's a nifty group of substances called antibiotics. The Michael Jordan of medicine. Do, do, do. Yes. Perfect. Uh, so, so what are these? What, what, what's the deal with antibiotics? Well, these are chemical substances. You may have heard of one of the most popular, penicillin, which is derived from fungus or some other microorganism. And when they're administered in dilute solutions, you guys, these things are able to destroy other microorganisms, which is extremely helpful. Uh, our targets, in this case, bacteria. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we're going to be technical, guys, the best group description for these things would be antimicrobials. Though the term antibiotic is used most often. Hey, what's the difference, you might be asking? Great question. Well, antimicrobials can describe a variety of things. There are antiseptics. That's applied to living tissue to prevent infection, often during a surgery, mm-hmm. right? Uh, there's dis- there are disinfectants, like bleach. Oh, yeah, which just non-selectively kill all the things. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Used on non-living substances to prevent the spread of infection. And finally, the heroes of our story, uh, antibiotics, which kill the nasty microorganisms inside your body. Once upon a time, this term was only used to describe, you know, the natural stuff, the moldy bread, things mm-hmm. like that. Nowadays, it's also used to describe synthetic antibiotics. Um, let's talk about the discovery of antibiotics. We have some myths to bust. Well, yes, uh, depending on your age and the country of your origin, you've probably heard all kinds of fun myths about how antibiotics came about, especially from when you were in school, especially mm-hmm. young age school. Mm-hmm. Uh, Western Europeans were for a long time uh, thought to be credited with the discovery of antibiotics. Yeah. However... Yeah, while it may be true that various civilizations, including uh, areas of Western Europe, discovered these substances independently, it is incredibly difficult. I'm going to double down, actually, and say that it is impossible to really nail down who discovered what first. Why? Because not only are antibiotics one of the most effective medicines in human history, they're also one of the oldest. Mm-hmm. Like. Super old. We have no idea. Traces of stuff like tetracycline have been found in human skeletal remains in the ancient Sudanese Nubia dating back to 350 to 550 CE. What? Yeah. And that's like way before penicillin. That is so far before penicillin. That's before there was even really a calendar that would apply to uh, something we could understand. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and traces of the same substance were found in bones from the uh, Dakla Oasis in Egypt. And we... We know that we can find this substance, tetracycline, easier than any other ancient biotics because it has a unique structure. But despite the fact that that's our 
um, you know, that's our smoking gun. That's mm-hmm. our solid proof. There's so much other uh, stuff. There, There's strong evidence that ancient civilizations across the world independently discovered some sort of local antibiotic. Uh, yeah, I heard something about the, the red soil in Jordan. Yeah, still in use today. It's a cheaper alternative than a pharmacy trip. And and some kind of herb that was used in ancient China. Yeah, yeah, uh, artemisinin. Uh, it's I'm I'm not going to try to butcher the the Mandarin for it, but it was uh, used for thousands of years. It also has antibiotic properties, and we know that ancient antibiotic use has affected the genetic structure of human beings. That sounds crazy. I know you, me, everyone we know, you listening, everyone you know, probably in some way affected our our genes are like um, our genes are curated. Yeah. Yeah. That's the perfect word. So we usually associate we live now in in the later part of the age of antibiotics currently. And we usually associate the beginning of this with uh, two people, primarily Paul Ehrlich and Alexander Fleming. Now, this was also before penicillin, but not so much before penicillin. Not so much before. So Ehrlich's idea of this magic bullet that selectively targets only these disease-causing microbes and not the host itself was based on this observation that aniline and other synthetic dyes, which first became available around that time, could stain specific microbes, but not some of the others. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a pretty huge discovery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he said, well, what about these chemical compounds? Could we synthesize something that would be able to exert the, this full action exclusively on a parasite harboring within an organism. So they did this large-scale screening program in 1904, and it was so gross. They were trying to find a cure for syphilis, which yeah. was a big deal. I yeah, mean, it's, it's a still, problem. It's still, like, not a vacation, I'm sure. Sure, but it was a much bigger problem at that time. Certainly. And the treatment for it at the time was pretty crummy. It was They would treat you with inorganic mercury salts. It had terrible side effects, and it didn't work that well. It was just you'd, you'd still probably go insane and then die. Right. Yes. You would. Uh, was it was it Nietzsche who had syphilis? I mean, probably. There are a <laughs> lot of historical figures that either on the surface or under the table had syphilis. So in his laboratory, together with some other chemists, uh, Ehrlich synthesized hundreds of derivatives of this highly toxic drug called atoxyl and a burst of creativity and tested it in rabbits that were infected with syphilis. Over and over and over again, hundreds and hundreds of times. I don't think I realized until right this very moment that rabbits could get syphilis. And I'm so I don't even like rabbits. And I'm so sad for rabbits right now. It's strange that there's some animals that can get uh, diseases that humans have, like leprosy is big for humans and armadillos. That always armadillos. Me out. Yeah, oh, no. I know they have enough of a tough time. I always thought it was strange that humans use rabbits for testing. But, yeah, it makes a lot of sense when mm-hmm. you look at what they can and cannot get compared to humans. Yeah, there are similarities that are good for testing, if not if not ethical. I mm-hmm. guess it goes to the question, you know, how many rabbits are you willing to kill to save whom? Well, in, in this case, it was hundreds. Yes, yes, yes. In this case, it was hundreds, right? Now, let's go to 1909. <laughs> Thank you, Ben. It's not the same without Noel. I know. Where is he? <laughs> Hope he gets back from that secret mission soon. Maybe he'll, like, find this that we're recording Mm -hmm. and then put in some stuff afterwards. And we won't even know. That's true. I guess we are kind of time traveling, aren't we? Yes. 
Okay, everybody, let's uh, let's right now, in the middle of the podcast, let's everyone clap their hands. No, don't do that. Uh, snap your no, don't do that. Um, close we, your eyes again. No, they don't. Why don't we wink? Just, <laughs> wink a single eye. Wink a single eye. What? If, okay, we're all winking. simultaneously on three. Everybody, wink a single eye, and hopefully that will make Noel put something right here. One, two. Oh, he did it. I didn't even have to say wow, three. Wow, that was great. Oh, that was great incredible. Great is good. Okay, yeah. so now that we're in 1909, you guys. Okay. Uh, these guys came across this compound in the 600th series of testing on these rabbits. Thus numbered 606, which cured syphilis-infected rabbits and showed significant promise, promise for the treatment of patients with this venereal disease, syphilis, in limited trials on humans. So not only did the rabbits go, hey, this worked on me, thanks, guys, no. uh, ra rabbit noises, and then the humans, <laughs> I mean, it's incredible. It worked on rabbits and it's working on humans. And despite the, uh, despite the fact that it was a pain in the tuckus, uh, mm -hmm. it, there was a um, there was a, a tremendous need for this drug, and it became the most frequently prescribed drug under the name Salversan, which is way better than Atoxyl. Mm -hmm. uh, and mm -hmm. it, it was the it was the number one. It was the king of the hill, drug sales wise, until the arrival of penicillin in the 1940s. Weirdly enough, with Salversan, uh, people still don't know what they call the mode of action. We're not a hundred million percent sure how it works it just happens. it just happened to work yeah wow. so talk about a lucky lucky break um penicillin though is now penicillin is like the main it's the beyond I mean, of the destiny i mean child. it's pretty i mean it's pretty big i it, mean you probably dope. you probably mm -hmm. heard of it yeah uh, so penicillin in the 1920s a british scientist named alexander fleming which we've done some shows on for Stuff of genius, maybe. Mm -hmm. Maybe we've you've heard about it on a few of our other peer podcasts. He was working at a lab in St. Mary's when he discovered a naturally growing substance that could attack certain bacteria. So there was mold growing on the same plate or peach tree dish as a, a colony of something called Staphylococcus aureus bacteria. And this is... These guys are jerks. Super jerks. Not nice. Uh, not nice at all. Uh, do you have pimples? Might be them. You got boils? Might be them. Pneumonia? Meningitis? Might be mm -hmm. them. Their rap sheet is Staff pretty long. infections. Yes, mm -hmm. exactly. So he, he found that this mold made a substance that could dissolve this bacteria, and he called it penicillin, named after the penicillium mold that made this substance. <laughs> Over the next two decades, they experimented with this penicillin and tried to get it in uh, the most efficient form. And and they did. And it, it works essentially by creating holes in a bacterium's outer membrane, uh, kind of letting all of its insides leak out and thereby killing it dead. Um, it, it's not quite microstabbing, though. It the, the, the penicillin prevents bacteria from replenishing their cell walls. Ah, mm. So as they're breaking down, they just don't get any more membrane. Right. You know, yeah. And then and then all of a sudden it's like Ping. Mm. that's the noise that it makes. I'm pretty that's sure. Just I think that's accurate. Very small. Yeah. Other antibiotics can can work similar to that or they can interfere with bacterium's production of other necessary subcellular structures or can even prevent bacteria from multiplying. 
So you guys, yeah. we, we have conquered, at least in theory, we have this substance now that can mm-hmm. attack and conquer these bacterium that have just been ravaging humanity and other animal life for years yeah. and decades and centuries. Perfect. Millennium. We're good to go, right? Yeah, let's coat everything in it all the time. So let's also, that's what we're doing. So here we are in the modern world. Let's talk about some statistics. Uh, you've probably heard of the outfit called the CDC, the Center for Disease Control here in Atlanta, Georgia, where we record the show. Uh, they've got some sobering statistics for us. In one year, 262.5 million courses of antibiotics are written in the outpatient setting. What that means is that you go see a doctor, you say, hey, I'm feeling weird. They say, I don't know what your symptoms are. Here's some penicillin. And, you know, God be with you. This number, 262.5 million, equates to more than five prescriptions written each year for every six people in the U.S., so did you guys get an antibiotic prescription in 2015? Yep. Did you? I don't know, man. Past, I did not. Past I, is kind of a blur. I actually did not. It was the first year in a long time where I did not have a dose of antibiotics. On on week like three of that infection, I was mm. like, you know, I think I'm going to see a doctor about this. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and that's the great thing about antibiotics. When you're like that sick. Yeah. You when you're like, I, my ears might explode right <laughs> out of my head. Yeah. Uh, let's let's go see a doctor about this thing. Right. It's a, it's a good drug. And it's not just uh, it's not just for people either. Right. An mm-hmm. antibiotic. Uh an outfit with the totally legitimate name of Union of Concerned Scientists and being somewhat sarcastic. I leave it to you to check uh, the sources, of course. They they had some of the highest estimates for these numbers that, that I'm about to um, and we're about to explore together. So every year, they say livestock producers in the U.S. use 24.6 million pounds of antimicrobials. Get this in the absence of disease for non-therapeutic purposes. That's 10.3 million pounds in pigs. 10.5 million pounds in the chickens and poultry. And 3.7 million pounds in cattle. And it would be even higher if they measured the antimicrobials used therapeutically, the ones that are actually medicine for these animals. Uh, right. And, and the distinction here is really important because the, the non-therapeutic purposes includes just like low-level pretreatment of animals that aren't sick at all. That mm-hmm. could be sick. That could get sick mm-hmm. uh, someday. Um, b- because of a few studies that were done, which we'll go into later. But yeah, so, so it's a huge number of, of our food animals that are being treated with this stuff. And this means that uh, according to some of the higher estimates, you'll see anywhere from 40% to 90% of antibiotics used in the U.S. are actually for livestock and not for people. And even if it is super low, even if it is 40%, which is still pretty high, that's still a lot. I mean, we're talking about life forms that reproduce every 20 minutes. The bacteria, not yeah, the chickens. the bacteria, not the chickens, <laughs> yes. Yeah. And uh, these, these bacteria reproduce every 20 minutes. It's evolution in Fast forward. Luckily, we have antibiotics on our side, and boy, are they swell. Are you feeling sick? Do you uh, do you have a sore throat? Do you have an earache? Do you have bulbous black crap sprouting from your skin? Well, take a pill, and boom, you're cured. Right? I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. 
Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. So tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Here's where it gets crazy. Antibiotics are less effective in the present day than they were in the past. We are losing our species' ancient war against these microorganisms, you guys. And, and this is the part that is not a conspiracy theory. This is a mm. conspiracy fact of, of, yeah. of microbes versus us. Right, yeah. Over the past decade, scientists across the world have noted the rise of bacteria resistant to one or multiple common antibiotic treatments. This is scary stuff. Mm-hmm. 2013, our folks at the CDC announced that antibiotic-resistant pathogens in the U.S. alone sicken 2 million people a year and play a role in 23,000 deaths annually. At least 25,000 people die each year in Europe from infections due to five specific antibiotic-resistant bacteria. Also, in the U.S., uh, there's the methylacin-resistant staphylococcus that Ben said earlier. You remember that one? Aureus. Yes. That, uh, those infections kill nearly 19,000 people a year, which is more than the number of people who die from AIDS in this country. Uh, yeah, uh, another fun stat. In 2015, UK scientists announced the discovery of bacteria bearing a gene known as MCR1 that gives bacteria resistance to Colistin, which is often used by doctors when other antibiotics fail. Yeah, this that's the high, like the heavy, heavy stuff, right? 
Right. Yeah, it's one of the last lines of defense. Yeah, it, it was discovered in China and then Denmark, France, the Netherlands, Portugal, and uh, several other Asian and African countries. So we know that this resistance gene is spreading. And again, I cannot emphasize this enough. Bacteria evolve more quickly than animals of our size ever will. One of the big problems, one of the big factors contributing to this is overprescription. Uh, millions of these antibiotics are consumed annually in the U.S. However, it's estimated that as many as half are unnecessary. And I, I don't know if you guys have ever been in a situation, uh, Matt, uh, Lauren, Noel, listeners, where you have, um, where you've come in to the doctor's office and you have something that maybe is a virus, but yep. you're still prescribed an antibiotic. Uh, you know, this happens with respiratory tract infections. The majority of the time, those are caused by something viral. Not a not a bacterial infection. Yeah, like like eighty percent of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the antibiotics do absolutely nothing to combat that type of infection. Yeah, yeah, they they just wave at viruses on the on the highway. <laughs> that's all that's going on in the in the city of our bodies. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, for a long time, this happened because for a long time, we as a species, we as a civilization, thought it was harmless to prescribe antibiotics because, you know. What's the what's the harm if it, if it's not helping? It's certainly not going to hurt you. Uh, yeah, sure. So so if someone came in and like demanded a pill for whatever was ailing them, then doctors would just you know toss them some amoxicillin or whatever. Mm-hmm. And we don't just have uh, we don't just have antibiotics as medicine that we take with a prescription. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're, they're in all kinds of cleaning products, too. The, the sale of antibiotic soaps may generate as much as a billion dollars per year in the United States alone. But do do they really work better than regular soaps? Probably not. Fun times. Uh, okay, for, for example, here, a study out of South Korea published in 2015 in the Journal of Antimicrobial Chemotherapy looked into soaps made with the uh, common active ingredient triclosan. And they found that there was no statistical difference in the number of bacteria gotten rid of by regular versus antibiotic soaps during normal hand washing. In order to see a difference, the researchers had to soak stuff with microbes on it in the two soap solutions for nine hours. Nine hours? Yeah. And wow. okay, we don't we don't usually wash our hands for nine hours straight. Wait, you no? I mean there's special cases. Sure. I've had a couple long nights. You've had some stressful times. You've got a baby. We yeah. we all understand. Hey, your hands look really clean. They do. You're just saying that. <laughs> But even if you're not dealing with the things that Matt is on a daily basis, uh, these active chemicals last at least nine hours in our drains and our runoff, potentially in our water supply. Mm. So even though they might not be effective on our bodies, they are almost surely at work, uh, going to work on bacterial populations that are in our environments. Driving their evolution. And that is certainly something you don't think about when you're just at the sink washing your hands or so, something. So antibiotic stuff, like the soaps and the, and the hand sanitizers and stuff, it's a rip? It's a yeah, rip totally. Huh. Uh, yeah, yeah. The, the FDA is actually considering right now whether it should even be legal to market antibiotic cleaning products at all based on whether they have any any actual benefits. Some companies are already reformulating in anticipation of the FDA's official word on the matter, which is coming in September of 2016. That is really scary because, uh, okay, so in my hand, I've got one of these hand sanitizer Mm -hmm. things that kills 99.99% of germs, you guys. That's what it says. Well, it's a a sanitizer thing. It's not an antibiotic. 
So it falls into that bleach, kill them all kind of category. But you're still, you're still like kind of unnecessarily killing off bacterial populations. Mm -hmm. And I'm possibly giving some of the populations that don't die that, that point oh one percent that lives i might mm-hmm. be giving them that something. genetic boost yeah. yeah yeah and it's not just medicine it's not just soap i think we should talk a little bit more about the animals this is the worst part <laughs> yeah oh, all right so so those estimates are really interesting because th- that you that you reported earlier ben mm-hmm. are really interesting because the meat industry does not report on how it uses antibiotics in animals um, but like we said, it definitely doesn't use them just when they're sick. Uh, and, and this came into practice when some research like a few decades ago found that animals pre-treated with low-level antibiotics would generally gain weight, like up to 3% more than non-treated animals. Mm. And when you're, when you're dealing with, with, with pennies per animal of profit, 3% is, is pretty huge in, in the, Big meat. There has to be a better yeah. way to say that. Well, when um, you're talking about millions and millions of those meats, of the walking meats that you're creating that have a 3% extra amount of meat on it, that's yeah, massive. Yeah. So the reason that this is a problem is that is that treated animals can harbor resistant strains of bacteria that make people sick, like salmonella, for example. How, how'd you like some antibiotic-resistant salmonella, guys? Love it. I'm not doing anything this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 CD, the CDC estimates that every year over 400,000 people in the United States alone get sick from resistant salmonella and Campylobacter. What? Jeez. Another another make you puke kind of. I don't know. 400,000. Kind of. It sounds like a lot of people are already in on this. I might skip the salmonella. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. It's too, too, too big already. It's too big. Have you guys I like eaten, its early work. Have you guys eaten yet? I was really I was thinking about getting a burrito. There's a uh... yeah. Maybe you should just never eat again. I think that's probably <laughs> okay. But we have some more stats about this as well. Uh, yeah, yeah. The CDC also estimates that as many as twenty percent of resistant infections are caused by transfer from our food or from contact with animals. Banning this subtherapeutic use of antibiotics would would absolutely lower the meat industry's profit margin by you know making its animals overall smaller and and potentially sicker and mm. less able to be kept in. Shall we say profit optimizing conditions? Intensive farming, I think, is the current euphemism. That's, Disgusting. That's is, horrifying. Yeah. 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 Um, but okay. So, do you want to get really, really mad, guys? Yay. Yeah, I'm not doing the salmonella thing. So. Okay, excellent. Well, in a report commissioned by the USDA that was published in 1999, researchers estimated that the annual cost to consumers of the huge change of banning subtherapeutic use of antibiotics. The annual cost to consumers would be between $4.84 and $9.72 per capita. It's like per person per year? Yeah. Uh, maybe $10? 5 to $10. Huh? Yeah. Okay. And so, so, you know, adjust that for inflation from 1999. Mm-hmm. And, and I guess like, you know, like check your, your privilege. Like, you know, it's, it's easier for me to absorb sure. a $20 a year difference in my food mm-hmm. cost than it is for many other human people. But, who ha i'm mad about that that's yeah strange, that's upsetting yeah. when you think about that especially just the, the when you look at the reasons that they have to or believe that they need to administer these antibiotics because of the conditions and because of that small increase in meat value in the entire time the clock is ticking 
Yes. The Clock of Evolution reminds me of that game that was once very popular, Pandemic. Do you guys remember Pandemic? Mm-hmm. Oh, love I love it. that, yeah. yeah. Okay, I'm glad that someone else remembers that because one of the most difficult places that, to get to, like, in Pandemic, you play a disease, and you can be a virus, you can be a bacteria, you can be something else, I don't know, a fungus, and your job is to infect the world and to end the age of human beings. There's one place that is the most difficult to get, and you guys remember what it is, right? It's it's in like a small deserted. It's Madagascar. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Madagascar in that game has the most paranoid, effective government <laughs> on the planet. As soon as someone coughs, they're like, "Shut down the hospital, <laughs> burn everybody, shut down the ports." I I. I have only won this, this game once and I've played it a disturbing amount of times, but I say, I, I say this because it's easy to forget that this is happening in real life where you live right now, unless you live in a clean room, the clock is ticking and we have these methods to our antibiotic madness. We have our first line of antibiotics, methicillin, oxicillin, penicillin, amoxicillin. But as these bacteria are treated, either underdosed or dosed unnecessarily, they survive and they change. And we have to find new ways to combat them. So what happens? What happens, Matt? Well, <clears throat> we, uh, should we talk about plan B? Uh, yeah, sure. Yes, because, okay, because this is all doom and gloom, but we do as a species kind of have a plan B we're, or we're developing a plan B that I have a lot of hope for personally. Um, because, okay, we, we've learned that using this brute force of antibiotics against bacteria is bad, but, but what if we could outsmart bacteria? Hmm. Uh, and this seems like a ludicrous thing to say because bacteria are literally brainless. They don't even have a cell nucleus. So it seems like it wouldn't be that hard. But but researchers are just now learning how bacteria are so successful. And it's partially thanks to a form of communication called quorum sensing. Oh, I think I've I think I've heard of this. Is this how they build networks? Uh sort of. Yeah, yeah. They can they can produce, release, and detect these signal molecules that let them know what's up with other bacteria in the colony and, and even with other species of bacteria that are in the area. It, it lets a colony of bacteria kind of synchronize its gene expression for, for better survival. So like some, some things that bacteria colonies can do through quorum sensing are uh, work together to produce tough biofilms. That's surface colonies that are especially uh, resistant to antibiotics. Mm. They can become more or less virulent and they can toggle their pathogenicity on and off. Whoa. So, so if this were a mob of people, it's this quorum sensing allows one of them to say, Hey, we're just hanging out, but why don't we kill somebody? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and everyone ba- else mean, goes, yeah. 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 It's, it's basically what happens here is that a, a bacterium, a single bacterium produces and releases these signal molecules when it finds itself in, in a particular state. When, you know, it really likes the place it's hanging out in mm-hmm. or doesn't like it or, or whatever. Okay. Um, and it detects a lot of signal molecules from other bacteria around it. And when it detects enough of any given type of signal molecule, it switches modes to go with what the group is doing. So, okay. So this is something we've discovered. Mm-hmm. And does plan B somehow try and like stop that from happening or now that we understand that is that the idea 
Well, okay. So, so you guys, I'm sure that you've talked before on the show about how governments and militaries sometimes use signal jamming mm-hmm. techniques to prevent unwanted communication in, in certain circumstances. Yeah. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, researchers are working on the bacterial equivalent of that. And there's a few different approaches that are being investigated. Um, they, they use, uh, chemicals or enzymes to, uh, to disrupt the production of signal molecules or to disrupt the reception of signal molecules or to send out false signals. Mm, well, and, well, that's cool. and any of these have the potential to trick bacteria to go into a non-pathogenic state, even if uh, conditions are, are ripe. So for. this, this isn't necessarily killing it. This uh, is just yeah. changing it to this a benign is, force. Yeah. Yeah. This is just saying like, Hey, just chill. Let's yeah, all just, just chill be, guys. Be where you are, what yeah. you're doing and don't do anything else. Why um, don't we just hang out? And I hope it works. Because otherwise, we are looking at a future full of super bugs. Uh, remember the plague we talked about oh, earlier yeah. in the show? Yeah. How it never really goes away, right? Yeah. It just shows up every so often uh, like some weird family curse. Well, if our boy Yersinia pestis evolves beyond the reach of antibiotics, we could look at the stunning fatal sequel to the original Black Death, and we wouldn't have any defense. Yeah, the, the bubonic plague is not over with. Uh, from 2000 to 2009, Yersinia pestis bacteria infected over 20,000 people worldwide and and killed uh, 1,612. And... Antibiotics have traditionally knocked it out really fast. Uh, you know, early detection and treatment are important. M- mostly it's, it's deadly if the infection spreads to your lungs, causing what's known as the pneumonic plague. Madagascar, 2007. Plague samples taken from a boy reveal a form of Y. pestis resistant to eight different antibiotics. Oof. 2014, same place, Madagascar. Over 100 cases of plague were confirmed in November. We may be approaching a post-antibiotic age. But hey, what about pharmaceutical companies, right? That's literally their job. Wouldn't they like to save the world or at least some of the people on it? Well, to answer that question, we have a nifty quote for you from our friends at the BBC. Pharmaceutical research hasn't kept up with the growing resistance of bacteria to antibiotics. No new types of classes of antibiotics have been discovered for 25 years, and some strains of bacteria are now unharmed by nearly all of the drugs designed to kill them, making infections by these bacteria almost untreatable. Experts have warned we are decades behind in the race against the superbugs. We've already exploited the most obvious, naturally occurring antibiotics, so creating new ones requires much more time and ingenuity. But, currently, there is little financial incentive to do so. Uh. Pharmaceutical companies target chronic illnesses to maximize potential profits from new drugs. Imagine, if you will. A world in which a common infection, something as insignificant as a deep cut, could kill you. A sore throat could lead to death by asphyxiation. A serious burn would almost certainly be a death sentence. It's like we're way back, guys. It's like we transported all the way back to 350 CE. And we didn't even have to leave our timeline. We're talking about a world in which many vital medical procedures that depend on weakening the immune system, like chemotherapy, will be essentially useless because there's no way to prevent the associated risk of infection. 
transplants would be a thing of the past. Tattoos would be dangerous. Uh, treatments for arthritis and rheumatism also depend on immunosuppressors. And here in the U.S., as well as many other parts of the world, we're still coping with high rates of HIV transmission. Uh, th- that, that virus, of course, attacks immune cells, which leads to autoimmune deficiency syndrome. We would return to a brutal past, a world in which five women out of 1,000 died in childbirth. One person out of nine died when they got a skin infection. Out of 10 folks who would get pneumonia, three would die. And there are so many diseases that we that we don't worry about anymore in, in developed countries that are caused by bacterial infections, typhus, tuberculosis, gonorrhea. Hey, resistant gonorrhea, another fun one. <laughs> right up there with salmonella. What are you doing this weekend again? <laughs> uh, you know, even even the scarier ones, the, the meningitis, anthrax and, and botulism. Researchers are saying that this won't be like the imagined zombie apocalypse, but something a lot more insidious. Uh, people spending longer in the hospital, patients getting sicker, having more complications and dying more often. And what I'm envisioning is a future, at least at the moment, where families are having to move back in with, uh, closer to one another because they can't afford to live and spread out the way we kind of have over the past few decades, especially in this country, mm-hmm. where now everyone is more grouped together, everyone's getting sick together and even sicker and not getting better together. Add to that that the majority of people across the globe now live in what would be called an urban environment. It's easier to transmit sickness now. So that is our conclusion. At this point, we leave you, ladies and gentlemen, at the eye of the storm, I guess, because there is quite possibly a storm coming. Will new uh, antibiotic methods happen? Will pharmaceutical companies uh, overcome the financial disincentives to create new solutions? Or are we going to have to wait until the storm hits? Yeah, will our food industry actually make some changes to hopefully better some of this situation? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if they don't, and if you're wondering what you can do personally, there's 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 definitely stuff that you can do on an individual level, and and that includes washing your hands before you eat stuff or otherwise touch your mucous membranes. Mm-hmm. Uh, know them, love them, don't put bacteria in them. Um, uh, don't use antibacterial soaps. They're mm-hmm. bad times. Uh, don't touch poop. Try not to touch poop. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> well, sorry, guys. It's One kinda... day at a time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But these are seriously, these are, these are good points. Uh, yeah. And, and, and one, one more, one more. Um, if you're, if you do get prescribed an antibiotic by a doctor, make sure that you take it as it was prescribed to you mm. and don't stop halfway through the treatment, no matter yes. whether you're feeling better or not. That's huge. Because that, that can, that can lead to building resistance of the bacteria colonies in your body. So what do you think, ladies and gentlemen? We would love to hear from you. Will humanity be able to turn the tide? In the coming, uh, the, the next leg, the next theater of the Superbug War. Uh, if you would like to write to us, uh, we'd love to hear from you. We're on Facebook and Twitter. We're conspiracy stuff at both of those. And Lauren, thank you so much for coming on to the show again. Oh, thank you for making me mad. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> it was yeah. our pleasure. Uh huh. <laughs> Speaking of being friends, you, uh, mentioned something on Twitter to us just as just a fun way to close this out, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, Something that we have, I don't know if we talked about on the show, Ben, but I think maybe I brought it to your attention, yeah. Jason's attention, uh-huh. this thing called the Conspiracy Cruise, Wait Conspira for it. Sea, sea Cruise. Like ocean. 
You sent us this thing. Did you read much about it? Uh, no, I, I read like half of a blog post from a lady who was there. Yeah, the yeah. insider who was like exploring it from a skeptic's who was a point. Harvard uh, went to Harvard Law School. Yeah, and was actually a lawyer. Yeah, yeah. It it sounded. I mean, it sounded great. I mean, I mean, I think we should go. I think we should. This is not Noel's secret mission, by the way, folks. No. He's no. on something else. He's on a much more important mission. Not I, that this isn't important. I'd love to send him on that cruise, though. So can we vote while he's not here? You Listeners, you can vote as well. Everybody wants to send Noel on the cruise. Say, I. J- alone? I. Just Noel? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no. What? I want to go, too. Oh, okay. Yeah, go. You should go. So yeah. just Noel and I? Yeah. I mean, if you guys think that you need backup, I don't want to... I mean, it would be cool if we could all go, but whatever, that's fine, I'll go. I'm not gonna go, I, I don't think I can cross running water. Well, we'll see what I, if I can pack something that can help you get out there. Oh yeah, yeah, I've, I've, I've got you, don't worry. Oh, thanks. Yeah. You guys give me a coffin of dirt or something? Yeah, Great. yeah, no, the coven's on it. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> well, on that note, um, we're gonna head out, but Lauren, where can people find you, uh, when they wanna hear more of your work? Oh, goodness, many, many places. Uh, you know, go, go ahead and, and use that Google thing. It's pretty fancy. Uh, look up brain stuff or what the stuff with an exclamation point and also a question mark. Or a little bit more directly, uh, you can look me up under FW Thinking on Twitter. That's at FW Thinking. Uh, it's, it's similar basically everywhere. And, uh, and, and brain stuff is Brain Stuff Show or Brain Stuff HSW. And Forward Thinking is an exciting show because it looks at, uh, in, in maybe a slightly more optimistic way, it looks at some of the big questions about the future that we tackle here. I would say a much more optimistic way. Uh, yeah, yeah. The um, the the quorum sensing research is from Forward Thinking. Oh, from fantastic. Shows that mm-hmm. So if you want to hear more about quorum sensing and the future of everything from space exploration to robots to the animals inside of us, or the bacteria inside of us, uh, then do check out Forward Thinking. And speaking of the future, this is something that we always like to end our show with. Uh, what future topics should we cover our best ideas come from you you can tell and that's the end of this classic episode if you have any thoughts or questions about this episode you can get into contact with us in a number of different ways one of the best is to give us a call our number is 1-833-STDWYTK if you don't want to do that you can send us a good old fashioned email we are conspiracy at iheartradio.com Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. 
There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without the essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. I mean, it provides great protection and it's really breathable so you don't get hot. That's a win-win. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com slash PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. 